0: Okay, I'm going to be honest with you, when, when we just heard it's Christmas week and there was a pause, y'all were awful, okay? It's Christmas week! Yeah. Holy cow, what a great week! Uh, and I know it's busy and crazy and hectic, but uh, what, what a great week for us to pause and remember somewhere in that uh, craziness, especially if you haven't done your, your shopping yet, right? Uh, but somewhere in that craziness to pause and remember... What, what this whole season is all about and the fact that, that the incarnation, the story of God becoming one of us is just central and beautiful and the hope that we come and, and the, the place of peace and joy and all those sorts of things. So with that in mind, a couple quick announcements about how this week is going to go or very specifically what we're doing. First of all, uh, Saturday is Christmas Eve and we're having our Christmas Eve service. It's, it's usually... If not my favorite, one of my favorite services all year. Uh, It's also y'all's because I preach a lot shorter, uh, and so that's a good reason to come, right? Uh, But we we aim to be in and out of here at an hour. Okay, sometimes we'll bleed over a few minutes, but I mean we really want to be five o'clock to six o'clock in here for the service invite family friends, get people to come. Uh, we are going to, to make the message of Jesus very simple and offer the hope of, of redemption and forgiveness and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, I've always felt like for me, there's a rhythm to celebrating the actual moment of Christmas. And I'm thankful for my whole experience growing up with Christmas Eve services, because it's very easy to get busy with cooking and preparing and wrapping presents And then if you don't have this moment just to hit, hit, you know, Christmas Eve and do whatever you do on Christmas Eve, then wake up Christmas morning and open presents, and you get to the end of the day on Christmas, you're like, holy cow, this was supposed to be about Jesus, and we never stopped to think about Jesus. Well, by starting our celebration of Christmas, by having this moment uh, on Christmas Eve and starting our celebration with a worship service, it will give us an opportunity, all of us an opportunity to pause and really start the celebration with worship. And and with singing and with celebration. Lots of carols, lots of singing, uh, some creativity and some fun. And I'll give you a heads up. Let me double dog dare you. Let me triple dog dare you to arrive early. Because we have some fun planned. And if you walk in right at the start of the service, you are going to miss. So if you're walking in here at like 6.02, you will have missed the pre-service fun. So, so my, I would tell you, you want to be in here at about 10 till, okay, because uh, we're going to have some, some uh, things going on in here uh, when you walk in, if you come in after that, but it'll be a good time, uh, so do that. Second thing that goes with that is um, we um, have noticed, like, it, it's just sometimes the holidays are really hard, especially if you're here and your family's elsewhere, and so we would like to invite you, if you don't have anywhere you're going on Christmas Eve, To join us for a family, a Genesis family, Hubbard family, a family meal after the um, Christmas Eve service on Saturday. And so uh, we hope, like if if you don't have anywhere to go, we would love to be your family and make this family your family for Christmas Eve. And so uh, we would like, we would love for you to do that. But if you're going to do that, we kind of need to know today, okay? So here's what you can do. A couple of ways you can register. There is, uh, with the QR code, a place where you can pop on and should be able to register there. Uh, if, if you can't get it there, uh, just tear off one of the, the, the green sheet, uh, our green folder, tear off thing. Put it in the offering and just say, we're going to the Christmas Eve meal. Or catch Heidi or myself after the service. Any of those three ways will work for you to join us. Um, but uh, we, we would love for you to be a part of that. But need to know today so we can kind of figure out all our plans and and scheme with that. And then last thing is that, did you realize Christmas this this year is on a Sunday? Okay? And so what are we going to do? The answer is we're going to have church. Will you join us for church on Christmas Day? And some of you are like, wait, what? Well, Because we rent a public space, we cannot do a service in here on Christmas Day like we normally do where we can bring everybody in. But what we are going to provide for you is an online Christmas service. So what I'd like us all to do, everybody in here, all of our family and friends, uh, at 10 o'clock next Sunday morning, let's join, let's gather together and do church. All right? Are you in? 10 o'clock Sunday morning, just... YouTube it. Um, and we, we will have links out on our, our blog and on Koinonia. We'll have posts out to tell you how to access it. But it will be a live stream, very similar to the live stream you have every week, uh, if you've ever watched that. Uh, it, it will be ready for you uh, at 10 o'clock. Before you start it, make sure you look, read through the post because there will be something that you actually need to download and make copies for your family before it starts. But we're going to gather. We're just going to gather in our living rooms But we are still all gathering together and doing church on Sunday morning. So we want to invite you to do that. So that's the three big announcements I have for you as we get ready for Christmas. Woo! All right. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now my guess is you were thinking, oh, he's got another poem he's going to come up with. Nope, that's it. Uh, a nursery rhyme just starts with this one. Have you ever thought about nursery rhymes we tell our kids? Hey kids, we want you to go to sleep. So we're going to tell you a story about a rocking cradle and you end up in a tree and the bough breaks and you come crashing to the ground and destroyed. Sleep well, sweetheart. Humpty Dumpty fell. He shattered. There's nothing we can do about it. Enjoy your nap. (laughs) It's interesting. I kind of did a little research on Humpty Dumpty, and the truth of the matter is nobody knows exactly where this fairy tale came from. Uh, There's a couple different versions. One version of it is that Humpty Dumpty was actually a British cannon that blew up, but, you know, who knows? But uh, I was wondering if it was rooted in the idea of Christianity because there is a, a deep truth in this, you know, cute little cute little nursery rhyme that um, we all experience all the year long, but sometimes even the holidays heightens it. And that is it, that our lives really are shattered, broken, and all the king's horses, all the king's men, we feel like nobody can put the shattered a nature of our lives in the world around us together we live in a broken broken world and we are broken broken people and and in the midst of this all of a sudden there's all these signs and glowing things everywhere that says peace on earth and everything about our experience in the world like when, when i was 20 i believed peace would come when i was 30 i became a skeptic at 50 there's a sense which sometimes in my 50s that i've just kind of lost hope that there is any real peace in the world you know, you're kind of an idealist where you're like, if we just get our right politics and if we're just, you know, this way in the world, we'll all get along. And I've seen incredible attempts to strive for peace. Yet, it is so elusive. The things we implement that we think will bring peace create other problems and other brokenness and other hostilities. And, and peace seems far from us Humpty Dumpty is shattered all the king's horses all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty together again so is there any hope for peace I'm one of the most starking images when I think of peace and I can't help but think of it every single year when we come to the peace uh, candle because we're, we, we just lit a candle saying that the birth of Jesus offers us some kind of peace. I, I, I can't help but think when we were in 1990, I think 1991, during the Christmas season, and the worst mass shooting in Missouri history happened in the town we were living in. And part of it, literally he the guy ran through our backyard in the middle of the night. We had hover, helicopters hovering our, over our house all night. It was, it was insane. The next morning, the National Guard is walking through town, still searching for him. And a photograph was snapped that ended up in newspapers all over America with these National Guard soldiers in full, you know, camouflage under the sign that was there every year as you drove into California, California Missouri that said, peace on earth. That's our world, Right? How do, we, how do we find any kind of peace? And then the Bible starts talking about peace. And when we think about peace, we kind of think about peace in terms of just the absence of conflict. I, I just wish, um, like, wars would stop and the gun violence would end. And, like, I would just feel like my heart isn't always in conflict and in turmoil. But But as we wrestle with the idea of peace from the Scriptures... One of the things I want you to realize is that the Bible does not speak of peace as the absence of something. We think of peace as the absence of the fighting anymore. The Bible speaks of peace in much more holistic and beautiful and rich terms. In fact, the, 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 the word for peace in the Old Testament, you've probably heard it the word shalom. Uh, I, I teased Eric a couple of weeks ago because he, he kind of went down this in his sermon. He kind of stole some of my thund, thunder, right? But uh, shalom is, is way more than just, hey, peace, dude. I hope everything's cool. I hope you're not like getting in a fight or a conflict. I wish we'd get out of Vietnam, right? That, that peace is the presence of wholeness. That, that the Bible is framing peace, and the idea of shalom is the blessing of wholeness, of fullness, of, of Humpty Dumpty, of the fragmented life being put back together, and the fragmented world around us, and the fragmented relationships that seem utterly broken being whole again. The wish for that. In, in fact, a uh, philosopher called Cornelius Plantinga, he's, he's a. Christian philosopher said this about the word shalom, about the idea of peace. In the Bible, shalom means the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully empl- employed a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? We long for peace. Our series is all I want for Christmas, and (laughs) what we're doing is looking at these great themes from the Advent season of hope and love and joy and peace and Saying, listen, it, in a very real and simple way, the Christmas message actually speaks to the greatest longings and desires of every human heart. We all want to see world peace. I, like, I don't know that we're going to run into anybody in our life and we said, Look, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great, great to have peace in the world? There we go, yeah, no. Kind of cool with all the fighting. I like the gun violence. We all want it. We all have our ideas of how that might be accomplished, but, we, but nobody doesn't want this. But more than this, we all want it personally, right? And so we long for this peace. We long for uh, the, the, you know this, this sort of peace. And, and it starts with this desire for inner peace, like the, this sense of the conflict, the war in my soul, the struggle that I feel within. A, a recent New York Times peace cited a study that tells us that right now one in four American uh, one in four American adults are on some form of antidepressant anti-anxiety medication and the use of these meds among our teens has risen 41% 41% since COVID hit well you talk about something that wrecked any sense of peace the last two years has just filled our hearts with anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise. People are so anxious. But we, we long for inner peace. We, we long for relationship peace. My guess is that every person in here can think of at least one relationship that is broken. One place where there is anger and frustration and and on one level, you're kind of like, okay, I need to set boundaries. And, and there's places where it's good to be, like, you've got to know where to step into places. And this is why the Bible, instead of saying, be at peace with everybody, Paul says, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. But, but we all have hurt and, and, and sense of brokenness and, and even sense of guilt over relationships that are broken that can't and won't be mended. We some of us have been hurt so deeply by people that it's hard to navigate any thought of even having peace, of being in a renewed relationship with those folks. But we want it. We want world peace. We want the shootings to stop in our schools and in public places. We want the gun violence in our our nation to end. We want the wars that go on around the world where people are being displaced and refugees are being created uh, and driven out of places to stop. We we long for world peace. And yet every single human remedy at this, every single approach at this ends up being uh, uh, broken and fails. Now, I will tell you that as we read the New Testament, we are at a period in the history, like you can go study this if you study um, history, you are at a moment in the history of the world where Rome had effectively created peace on earth. We call it the Pax Romana. That's Latin for the peace of Rome. It is a period of history that we literally say Rome created peace. There was peace in the world. You know how they did it? By being so awful, and so ruthless, and so horrible in their conquests that everybody looked at Rome and went, listen, if I revolt against Rome, they will destroy us and leave us in oblivion. Yet Rome also said, if you're kind to us, if you don't fight us, we're going to build roads and aqueducts. We're going to make the world a better place. And so out of absolute terror, they conquered and, and, and they accomplished The Pax Romana, the peace on earth. And and hear me, at the end of the day, one of the problems with the world talking about peace on earth is that the only place that really ever gets accomplished is because there's a bloody terror somewhere who forces everybody into submission. Then we'll have peace, but not on the inside. As is, is part of prep for this, I, I, I listened to a sermon that Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, preached on Christmas Day in 1963, where he was talking about nonviolence as a hope for peace on earth. And he really was onto something, although, that what he offered in that sermon was really more of a worldly approach of, of bringing peace through human means. There was a, a, an idea that looks like Jesus of laying our lives down. Yeah, and, and some things got accomplished, I mean, some really beautiful things, important things got accomplished because of Dr. King. But I will tell you that he did not end racism, and he did not end the conflict between people, and the brokenness in the world still exists. Can we have peace on earth? Is there a such thing as shalom? It was into that world, the world of the Pax Romana, the world where R- Rome had imposed its will and forced peace, the world where people lived under that rule with peacefulness because they weren't going to revolt, yet they were hopeless and full of anxiety over the peace that was imposed to them that angels showed up in the night sky. And, And their message is just beautiful for, as they look at these shepherds and they cry out to all of us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. They, they are proclaiming into the world where the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, existed. But people weren't really in peace. They had peace imposed. There's an announcement that there is a different baby, a different king born. You'll find him. He's just, it's just simple. It's a manger in Bethlehem. You'll find him. But something is going on here where a different type of peace, the shalom of God, is being offered to people with whom God is pleased. Do you long for that? Do you want that in your life? The Bible says it's a real thing, and it's not a future tense thing. It says it's a real thing. It was, but, but our problem as we wrestle with this is that there is a, a great brokenness. Can Humpty Dumpty be put back together? It was also into the world of the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, that Paul wrote a letter to the church in the capital city. This is a letter we've been looking at this whole series. We we just decided we we're gonna spend a whole month just kind of planting ourselves in Romans chapter five and, and looking at this beautiful text. Where really the whole text is, is saying, okay, Jesus came in the world, he lived, he, like he was born in a major. he lived his life, he died on the cross, he rose again. And because he came, this is what's available for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. So uh, in all these sermons, there's this basic understanding. If you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus, everything in Romans 5 is already true and available for you. And if you're not, the hope of the gospel is that you can be made right with God. And when you were made right with God, when you were justified, meaning that you were brought into a right relationship with him because your sin has been forgiven, that God's justice has been satisfied in the person of Jesus. When you were justified, you were brought into a state where all the things of Romans 5 are true. And what we see in Romans 5 are these great themes, the theme of hope, and we talked about Uh, four weeks ago, and uh, love and joy last week and this week talking about peace. And they're interconnected, yet there are these distinct promises that flow from the gospel to those of us who believe, who have trusted in Jesus. And so the invitation for everybody today is, do you trust in Christ? Have you believed? If you have, then peace is offered to you. And if you haven't We are extending the invitation to come know the God of peace in his son Jesus Christ today, right? And and so, there is peace here. Look at the text here. Let's read it together. Uh, Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and we're going to focus on the first verse and the last couple verses this morning. Therefore, since, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. There it is. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand in. We rejoice in hope, there's the word hope, in the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice, there's joy in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul is writing to this church that is under the rule of the Roman government. He is reminding them that they have placed their faith in a better king. uh, The king that came into the world that offered them peace. And now because of that, they're not experiencing some superficial peace imposed by an awful empire. They can experience true peace that came through the birth of a true king, but a king that brought in an upside-down different kingdom. That his kingdom came because he gave his life away, not because he takes your life from you. And, and so here, here is the, the core issue that peace uh, is speaking to. This idea of wholeness. What, what, when we think of peace, we are primarily thinking about the conflict in the world, the broken relationships we have in life, And the inner conflict we have because our life is fragmented and hard and the anxiety and struggles we have. And those things are very real. Yet the Bible helps us understand, the big grand narrative of the Bible helps us understand that our problem is actually somewhere else. And the problem we have, the reason we don't have peace is not because we're fighting each other, it's because of our relationship with the God who made us. As you read the Bible, like you get in the first chapters of the Bible, and Genesis 1, God creates everything that exists. Creates the world, it's beautiful. It's all his gift to humanity and says, here, enjoy this. And then we have this amazing chapter, Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, it is kind of the retelling of the creation of Adam and Eve, the first two people. And what they have experienced, what they have in Genesis 2, is what the Bible speaks of when, we, when it speaks of Shalom. They are whole. They are integrated whole people. In other words, what happens is that the, the Genesis chapter 2, and by the way, it's the only place in the whole Bible until we get to Revelation 20. So you have Genesis 2, Revelation 20, and a lot of Humpty Dumpties in between, okay? But, but here in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are whole. They are full of shalom. They're experiencing the, the wholeness, the shalom of God. And it's because... As God's creations, they are right with their God. They have this beautiful, rich relationship. I love the way the Bible images it. It talks about Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. The image of, like, literally, they're taking a hike with God, and he is present. There's just nothing more relational and intimate than going on a hike with somebody. And and the Bible says, let's explain what this is like. To know God is like walking with him in the cool of the day. This is what Adam and Eve, they are right with their God. Because they are are right with their God. Because he is the author of light, right? God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. He is the source of joy. He pours joy into his creation. And he says, it's good. He is the author of life. God breathes the breath of life into Adam and he becomes a living soul. He is the source of every good and perfect gift, right? And because Adam and Eve are right with their God, the, the relationship is pure and beautiful. They are now right with themselves. They're integrated wholes. They're they not experiencing anxiety and brokenness in their life. They, the, the, the life and light and goodness of God is so pouring into them that they are full and rich. They are who God created them to be. Because they're right with their God, they're right with each other. And the way Genesis 2 pictures this is that here's Adam and Eve, and they are naked and unashamed. There there is full transparency and intimacy and full comfort in the presence of somebody being seen and fully known and fully understood. Like, come on, let's all be honest in here and say that's one of our biggest fears now, is to be truly and deeply known. And they were right with the world around them. In other words, the lion did not eat them, the snake did not bite them. But the snake did show up in the garden. And so Genesis 2 is this picture of shalom, but what happens is that in Genesis 3, the snake, the serpent, Satan of old steps in the garden and tempts Adam and Eve. And God had told them one thing don't eat from this one tree. And Satan twists God's words, Satan spins it the wrong way, but at the core, there is this central question where Adam and Eve are looked at and said, listen, I know like you think God said this, but here's the truth of the matter. God knows that if you eat the tree he said don't eat, that, that the truth of the matter is that you can stake your claim and be your own God. You can rule your universe. You can run this show. And Humpty Dumpty is on the wall. Which way is he going to go? And the answer is that Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit and they fell and everything broke. Everything broke. But the reason it broke is because what was first and foremost severed was the relationship with their creator. There is no shalom because the light and the life and the joy and the good gifts of God have been cut off from us our relationship with God was severed. Therefore, because of that, Adam and Eve are trying to sow fig leaves to cover up the shame of their bodies. They are now in a world where as they grow corn, they get get, um, uh, weeds that grow up, and Childbirth is hard and all this other stuff. What's the Bible trying to say to us? Saying, listen, they're broken. Their relationship with God has been shattered. Their relationship with each other has been destroyed. It is now broken. Their relationship with the world around them is now hard and difficult and broken. But at the core of it, their relationship with themselves, they are no longer integrated people. They are no longer whole. Shalom is utterly destroyed. And all the king's horses... All the kingsmen can't fix this. So understand that when angels say something, they're announcing something, but the angels are actually looking back and wrestling with, with this reality that, that what, what's going on here is that our relationship with God is broken. I just Before I get to this next little passage of Scripture, I want you to look at how the Bible describes us apart from Christ. Verse 8, he says, while we were still what? Sinners. Now, we get that. Like, we get that in here. Like, if, if you go to church enough, you know, like, I, I sin, therefore I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, therefore I sin. Like, there's this cycle, circle here that uh, I am, you know, I do wrong things, but I do wrong things because my heart is, is broken and I need Christ and I'm a sinner. But look at verse 10. While we were Enemies. Do you, do you see it? Why don't we have peace with God? Because apart from the gospel, we are actually people who have raised the flag of our own kingdom and we in our sin are declaring war on the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, like, this sounds really harsh and really hard, but wrestle with it. You are an enemy of the true God and his kingdom. While we were enemies, not what text says is Christ died for us. While we were still in that state, Christ died for us. Something happened for those of us who believe, but while we were still in this state. And so we are in this state. We cannot fix it on our side. How, what is God's solution? And the whole Old Testament starts saying, like looking at every human being that comes, and every human being keeps falling off the wall. The brokenness of the world, the brokenness of their lives—you end up with all kinds of crazy, broken relationships. You end up with wars and fights, and people who are just wicked to one another. It it, it becomes horrible. And in the midst of this, you start hearing the prophets crying out, "Listen! One day, one day, one day, there's going to come a child who is a king." And the clearest place this happens is in Isaiah nine. This. Great passage. We would like to read a lot of times at Christmas. Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Prince of Shalom. Of the increase of his government. And of of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Catch what's being said here. He's saying there's going to be a baby born who is the king who ushers in this great kingdom. And when that king comes, His government will spread, and everywhere his government spreads, everywhere Christ rules, everywhere Christ reigns, everywhere Christ is known, what comes with it? Shalom, peace. Now we know the end of the story, at the end of the story, Christ wins, he's victorious, and peace will reign forever and ever. But in the context of that, this is the baby who's Pronounced by the angels, in fact, the angels' pronouncement is actually a reflection of this text. Like, there he is! We've been waiting! He grows up and lives the perfect life and dies on a cross for our sin in our place. And the cry of the scripture is, you have raised a flag of your own kingdom. Take that flag down and trust in Christ. Take that flag down and hold on to Jesus. Take that flag down and pursue him. He is so worth it. He is the king. And in his kingdom, anywhere this king rules, what comes with it is peace. Peace. And then that Paul says, therefore, therefore, because of what Christ has done, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The shalom that was wrecked in Genesis 2 has been restored. You said, but I don't feel like I have peace. If you know Jesus, this is a statement of truth to you. Later in the text, we'll look at it again in just a minute. He says, we have been reconciled. Now here's a little clue. In, in these texts... In these texts, the verb tense in the original language is kind of important. Uh, In both these texts, the verb tense, we have peace. We have been reconciled. Is in a verb tense that represents something that has happened in the past and it's done. Boom. Boom. Paul does not say, since you've trusted in Jesus, man, you can have peace. Just keep working it out, trying to figure out what this peace looks like. Pursue peace. You can he doesn't say, listen, if, if, if you'll be kind and nice to people, God will like you again. And you can have, like, you can be reconciled. Someday in the future, we'll go to heaven. He said, listen, if you've been justified by faith, in other words, if you've turned to Christ and trusted in him, if the problem of my sinfulness is, has been dealt with, and now Christ Goodness reigns in my life. What happens is the shalom of God, all these good and beautiful promises that were available in Genesis 2 are now being poured into your life because we have shalom with God. We have peace with God. The war's over. And so so this peace shows up in kind of three realms, three spheres in our life. This promised peace for those who believe show up in these three realms. And the first one is that there is peace with God. Peace with God, that that we are no longer enemies. We are no longer far. We are no longer people who, who have a broken relationship with our creator. Because of Christ, because of Christ, you can know God and have peace with God. If you have trusted in Christ, that is true. Now you may say, I don't feel that peace. But the statement is true of you. The gospel is this, that when I try to earn favor, if I try to be right with God through my good works, my efforts, my energy, there's no peace. Yet, because of Christ, I am placed in a right relationship with God And able to know him, I have had peace made. God made a peace treaty and I am under that treaty and I have peace with God. That the reason is because justification is this idea that my sin has been forgiven, that my sin was placed on Christ who died and so I no longer bear the guilt of my own sin, that the blood of Christ cleansed that and now Christ's righteousness, his perfection is poured into me and because of that, I I have peace with God. I can know God and have a relationship. In fact, this is verses 9 and 10. He says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So so we were enemies incurring his wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved to life. This word reconciled is an amazing word in this language because it's the word catalage, which literally means to reconcile a change of relationship, uh, a change or reconciliation from a state of enmity between persons to one of friendship. One of friendship. Listen, this is what's going on. The Bible's telling us that here's this person, uh, me. I was an enemy of God. And what God did through the death of his son is said, I am no longer going to call you an enemy. I'm going to call you a friend. I'm going to invite you to my table. I'm going to share my meal with you. I'm going to invite you to my celebration. In fact, it goes one step further. We finally find out it's not just a friend. I'm a son. I've been made right with Christ. The peace with God that we are known. There's this amazing story in the Old Testament that pictures this for us. There's this this guy named David who becomes one of the most important kings. In fact, while he is... Way far from perfect. He does represent what a good king looks like in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and before he became king, there was this crazy nut job of a king who represents what a bad king looks like in the Old Testament named Saul, who spent about 15 years trying to kill David. Everywhere David went, Saul was trying to kill him. And eventually Saul and his sons were Killed in a battle. One of, one of Saul's sons was a guy named Jonathan who David had this really intimate, beautiful friendship with. Jonathan actually saved David's life a couple times from fighting, uh, from, from the, the, the jealousy of his father, Saul. But they're all killed in a battle. And David is made the king. And, and it was just commonplace That when one regime fell, this is everywhere in the world you go, even to this day. When one regime falls, where there are still heirs to a a former kingdom, you either exile or kill them. Because you don't want anybody looking at your kingdom going, nope, there's still an heir. We're going to try to make this person king. And Jonathan had this son who was crippled. His name um, was, and I'd never get this right, it's one of those long, weird names, but... And that was not the right way to say it, but that's the one time I'm going to say it and get it out there. And in 2 Samuel 9, we're told that David sent his sermons out to find this grandson of Saul, the son of, of Jonathan. And when they find him, this young man is terrified because he knows what being brought before the king means. He's the last remaining heir of Saul. In some people's eyes, the rightful heir to the king. He believes that he's gonna be brought in front of David and gonna be slaughtered there at at the front of the palace to prove to the world that David is the king. There are no heirs from Saul's family. And because he's crippled, he's unable to even flee or run. But he is brought to the house of David, and they walk past the front doors. They walk through the opening. They walk past the throne room, and they come into the dining room, and David looks at him and says, I love Jonathan. I know who you are, but from this day forward, this table is yours. I'm going to treat you as one of my sons. Isn't that beautiful? And that is exactly what the gospel is to us, where we deserved Like we raised a flag to our own kingdom. And God has said, I love you. My son gave his life for you. You are welcome at my table. In fact, in a few minutes, we're going to come to this table. What is this table? It is the table of the Lord. The taking of communion, the Lord's Supper, is an invitation again from God to his table to dine with him. And we come back. And we may not feel like we have this peace. But the truth of the matter is this peace is true if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not, today, this is the offer. You can be justified by faith. You can have peace with God. Now, now you say, I don't feel like it. Well, there's probably two big reasons that I don't feel like it. If I'm a follower of Jesus, the first is that you don't believe it because you don't feel, like, we don't feel this peace. We're basing peace on God with a feeling instead of us just believing the gospel. Believe that because of Christ, you are welcome at the table. Because of life, your sins are forgiven. Because of Christ, you have been invited into friendship. And so you feel unworthy, which is, is an okay feeling unless it keeps you from entering peace. And so, so it's, you may not believe because you just are not really understanding the gospel wholly that you are not accepted on the basis of your works. You are accepted at the table of the Lord because of the works of Jesus Christ, Period. Or, or we don't feel this peace because we keep leaving the party. Like for some of us, the reason I, as a follower of Jesus, I, I just never feel peace is because we keep walking away from the table and keep walking back to our old ways of life, our old attitudes, our own sins. And we need to walk in repentance and trust in Jesus to really experience this peace. But, but our repentance does not create the peace. Our, our repentance brings us back to the table where there is peace. And so if you're here like, I, I just don't feel it, listen, run back to Jesus. But no, it's true. You have peace with God if you're a follower of Jesus. But it's not just the peace of peace with God, it's the peace of God. The fact that this peace then flows deeply into our lives and takes the shattered pieces of our lives and assembles them back together. It, 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 the message of peace on earth seems not to resolve because we don't even feel it in our own hearts. But the promise of peace in the scriptures, the promise that not only will, do you have peace with God, which is where the flow of this grace begins, but he will take the broken pieces and start assembling and making something beautiful. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This, this beautiful piece that flows into us. I learned this week about kintsugi pottery. Have you ever heard of this? It's a form of Jap- Japanese art, actually. But it starts with a broken pot. It starts with something that is broken and, and seems unrepairable. And, and, you know, people used to take these pots or take something like this. You remember as a kid when you broke something of your mom's and you're like, I'm going to super glue it. And it never worked, you know, it always fell apart again. And, and what happened is ones that fell apart uh, or it, you'd put water in it. Her mom would have a coffee mug that was broken. She'd put a little coffee in it. Next thing you know, it's leaking out the side. Nothing ever worked because this is the way, when we try to fix things, it's just not the way, it's the way it goes, Right? But the Japanese developed this art form where they would take a piece of broken pottery and they would pull it together and they use this form of epoxy that actually is filled with gold. And what happens is they take all the broken pieces, assemble them together very carefully and very delight delicately with this epoxy that is gold covered. And now this this just piece of pottery becomes a beautiful work of art. There's an example up there of, of a piece like this that was actually given by the Japanese government to our president. Of a broken pot that was assembled together by the master to make something that was more beautiful. Our peace is not that God removes all the brokenness in our lives. Our peace is that when we walk in Christ, he becomes the artist. Right? He becomes the artist who takes the broken and shattered pieces of our lives and starts reassembling it into something that is glorious and beautiful, remade by him in the gospel. And so we, we don't feel this peace sometimes, but we need to keep running back and trusting in him and holding on and hearing Jesus looking at, look at us as his disciples where he says these things, says this, I've said this, these things to you, that in, me you may ha- that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now how do we get there? There's all kinds of things. It, it is pursuing Jesus. It's hold, holding on to him. It's repentance and faith. And in some places, yes, it, it is the taking of those meds and going to counselors who will help us, Christian counselors who will help us reshape our world and see things. But, but it is walking knowing that the peace I have with God begins to flow into my own life to give me the peace of God, which then will lead to the third thing, the peace from God, where Christ pours his goodness into our lives so we become people of peace people of peace. There's a reshaping of who we are. Like there's something about the Griswold family Christmas meal, right? We laugh because we've all been at that table. The the crazy uncle whose dog is hacking up a bone, the, 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 the nutty aunt who starts reciting the Pledge of allegiance instead of the blessing over the prayer, the turkey you cut and it bursts and everybody's in crying. Like we've all ended up with people crying at the Christmas table, people mad, people yelling and screaming. Like we we watch it and we laugh because we're like, oh, this is so true, right? And we go, what do we do about this? How do we step into this space? And what the gospel does is we have peace with God. That peace flows in our hearts and starts to reshape the broken pieces of our lives and it rechanges. And all of a sudden, the church this place, these people, we become a community of people who are people of peace, people who are experiencing the peace of God. Listen, if we're looking to the government, like we're in this crazy moment where everybody is shouting peace, right? Everybody wants peace on earth, but we're becoming more and more like Rome in the way this is being exercised. The louder and stronger and the bigger, more we fight for power, the more we believe peace will come, but on my terms, we are in a cancel culture that blows people up in the name of finding peace on earth. But it's everybody's trying to be Rome, where my power sets in and I will force peace on you because we will win this fight. And it is into that where Christ says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. And follow me, we become people of peace, a community of peace, quick to forgive because we 've been forgiven, quick to give mercy because we 've received mercy, quick, quick to love because we love our neighbor because we 've been loved, a community of peace. This is what it means We're, where Christ reigns here, right, and rules, and so this is what the gospel is telling us, that Christ coming into the world, the baby born, is this king who ushers in the kingdom of peace. And wherever the kingdom goes, shalom joins it. Shalom joins it. So how do we experience this peace today? Real quick, first of all, realize that that is true. If there's an area where you in your life have put up your own flag and said, Nope, I don't want Christ to rule and reign there. I'm going to do things my own way. That is going to be a place in your life where you're not going to experience this peace. You may have peace with God because of the Christ, because of Christ. In other words, you, you, you won't necessarily lose your salvation. You won't if you were truly a follower of Jesus. Yet, at that place where Christ does not rule, you rule yourself. That little place where you've raised your own flag is going to be a place where you're not going to experience the peace of God in your life. And the only way to have peace is peace with him first. And second, it's about relationship because peace is an invitation to a table. It's an invitation to know Christ. The way we experience this peace deeply is by walking with him, growing in him, opening the scriptures and reading the word, fellowshipping with him in prayer, being in his community. Like those are the avenues to greater peace in our life as we experience the peace of God and and, and the peace with God and the peace of God. Us. And so the invitation today, as we close, is an invitation to a table where Christ beckons us back to the table of the Lord to have a fellowship meal with our Savior, right? And we have the op- opportunity to be people who proclaim peace this week, our message to the world. So you can invite people to Christmas Eve, you can tell them about Jesus. That is the proclamation of peace. And we, as a church family, have the opportunity every Christmas to be part of that message going to the nations. So, so we, we kind of encourage you and challenge you every year to consider downsizing the amount you spend on Christmas and upsizing the amount that you um, uh, give at Christmas. And so we have this offering called the Advent Conspiracy Offering. Every dime of this offering goes to our partners around the world who are taking the gospel to the nations. It is about the message of peace going to, to everywhere. And as a church, we have two missionary families that actually are deeply tied in relationship with us. And part of what we give to this offering uh, come, goes to these people. So first of all, we have Nick and Lorraine Bosca. Here's a picture up there of them. Nick and Lorraine. Uh, they are in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Nick and Lorraine are a fabulous family. They, they are actually members of Genesis. They were here this summer with us. And uh, he's an he's a airline pilot who works with a medical mission team to help people with uh, you know, desperate physical needs, but then they share Jesus with them. They're awesome people. And then we also have a relationship with Dave and Brenda Meyer. Uh, they are in Cayambe, Ecuador. Uh, they, uh, are, uh, they planted a church in Cayambe. They're working to do all kinds of things, working through the schools and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, this is them. And, and he pastors the Good Shepherd, the Buen Pastor Church, Uh, And and this is that church. This is our sister church. And so when you give part of your gifts to the Advent Conspiracy offering, literally going to go to support these two missionaries, these two missionary families, the work they're doing in these parts of the world, among the other things that we give to. So we encourage you to prayerfully be generous. Uh, as you go through the holiday season. Uh, a lot of us will give on Christmas Eve. And so on Christmas Eve, there, we have bags out there. And one of the cool things you can do is have your kids take the bag and decorate it. Uh, make a like a, a Christmas bag, a gift bag for Jesus. Get the idea? And so they can color it and you know, write happy birthday and all that kind of stuff. And on Christmas Eve service, we will have a place in a t- down here for you to give and a time in the service where we invite families to give. So if you'd like to bring your offering there, that is great. You can always give the other ways just by uh, giving an offering to this this morning or, or, or uh, making your offering online. But um, this is a great way. I always get excited about our family being able to, uh, at Christmas, being able to honor the work of the gospel to the nations. And so we want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that and give to that too. But as we close this morning, um, we're going to have a moment where we celebrate communion. So Eric's going to come up here, uh, is going to lead us through that time. And then after we celebrate communion, uh, when we finish our time of communion, of celebrating the table and coming to the table of the Lord, uh, we're going to sing to Jesus. Uh, we're going to re- be reminded of the peace that God gives, and we're going to rejoice because he's been so good to us. And if you're here today, and maybe, that, maybe like this whole message has been, but I don't have peace in my life. You may be here today, and you may say, I don't know God, and therefore I don't have peace with God. We would love to have a conversation with you and pray with you. There, there's some chairs set up over here by this um, by the speakers. There will be people over here who are ready to have a conversation and just pray with you. Or you might be here today and say, listen, I have some brutally broken relationships. I don't know what to do, and this is a hard message that I feel like guilt because I'm supposed to have peace, but I can't have peace with those people. Let us pray with you about that. Right? I'll be over here at the end of service as well. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If If, if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We want to be available to have that conversation with you. And so, As we celebrate communion, as we sing, you you come find us and, and we'll have that conversation with you. But Eric, lead us through our time of communion this morning.